Are you a cursed weirdo? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Hello, friends and weirdos. Welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. We're two friends who have cocktails and talk about weird shit. Thank you so much for joining us for the weirdest happy hour around. Yes. And if you're new here, hello. Hi. And if you're old here, hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, what are we drinking today? Let's start with what we're drinking. Let's mix it up. Okay. So I am drinking a key lime cooler and it is so good. It's whipped cream vodka and simply limeade and a little bit of fresh lime juice. And it is, it tastes just like a key lime pie, I wish that my glass was made out of graham cracker crust. I feel like that's a fail on your part, that you didn't make a homemade graham cracker crust. Did you rim it in graham crackers? I did not. That's our recommendation for you at home. Yes, I did not because I did not have any gluten-free graham crackers, and I am gluten-free, so I did not do that. But that is a recommendation And I will get gluten-free graham crackers next time at the store and make this. Or make the cocktail for your children. One of the two. (laughs) Figure it out. I could probably do whipped cream and limeade in a shaker for them, Mm -hmm. rimmed with graham cracker crumbs, and they would probably love it. They would think that was pretty freaking sweet. Key lime pie always reminds me of Dexter. Yum for Dexter and for key lime pie. Mm-hmm, exactly. So anyways, that's our cocktail pictures and recipe on our social medias per use. Okay. So today we're talking about curses. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, what are your opinions on being cursed? Like, do I believe in curses? Yes. Or are you currently cursed? I mean, whatever. Well, firstly, I want to answer, yes, I believe in curses. And, but I really feel like there's two ways that you can like have, like as far as curses go, uh, you could curse yourself just with like your negative thoughts and your negative like mentality. Mm-hmm. And then, um, or you could curse somebody else or you can – I feel like you you could curse an object just by like ha- having it in your possession and like having super negative thoughts um, and then give it to somebody and their life falls apart. Um, but I also believe in cursed objects as far as like being haunted. I do believe in that too. Okay. So an object could be cursed by being haunted. I feel like yes. And maybe that's not, like, the right context as far as, like, a cursed object is, like, haunted by, like, an angry spirit. But I feel like that that object's kind of cursed and whoever has it experiences, you know, bad luck. Mm -hmm. But, yes, I do believe in curses. And I believe that you have to have, like, super – because I'm the kind of person who, like, my thoughts control my reality. Everybody's thoughts control their reality. And if you're having super negative thoughts – you know, your your reality is going to be negative. And that's like a form of cursing yourself or you could curse somebody else. Or you could like legit be like voodoo cursed. 
I keep thinking that you're going to say like you put an object up your butt and it's cursed. And I do not know why my mind is working like a 12 year old boy right now, but that's just what I keep like a rock up your butt and then you take it out and it's cursed and then you give it to somebody. I mean, you could do it that way if you're still having negative thoughts in your butt. Yeah, you can hold it. You could keister it. You could do whatever you want with it. It's as long as it's in your possession. <gasps> as long as it's in your possession. Do you believe in curses? I believe in curses in the way that kind of in the same way you do. I think that if I think that believing in something makes it real. Mhm. So if you believe that somebody's cursed you or you if there's like bad energy mm-hmm. in something, I think that that can happen. Mhm. And I think that the more people who kind of believe that something is happening, the more powerful that becomes mm-hmm. so I don't know I think that there's more power in people's uh thoughts than maybe we realize yes I'm working on a tulpa right now so it's <laughs> fine uh will you make me one that does all my house chores please yes yeah Thank you can you borrow so mine I don't have that much <laughs> mental power I can only make one <laughs> I I think uh, people's thoughts really control the reality. But also what kind of reinforces my belief in curses is every culture pretty much has like a protection against curses. So we have like protection prayers. We have uh, binding in like the Wiccan and the witchcraft mm-hmm. um, culture or religion. We have um, evil eye is the symbol is to protect against literally the evil eye or a curse mm-hmm. or like people that want to do harm to you. I mean, I just, I feel like it, it, there's, it's like all over the world. It's, it has to be, it has to be real. Like Bigfoot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't laugh at Bigfoot. <laughs> um. Okay. You're up, buttercup. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll list my sources at the end. Okay. The cursed object I am exploring today is the crying boy painting. The crying boy is, just as its name implies, a painting of a young boy with a sad, pouting look on his face. His cheeks are lined with tears. It was painted by a man named Bruno Amarillo, although he went by Giovanni Bragolin for his art. That was his pen name. Hmm. The artist painted a series of these crying children paintings, saying that they were created to remind people of the orphans of World War II. The line of crying children works became very popular. More than 50,000 paintings were sold in the UK alone. And the crying boy painting in particular became extremely popular and was mass-produced beginning in the 1950s in England. Which makes the curse even more bizarre, in my opinion, as well as more dangerous. (laughs) Well, okay. So I feel like when we have terrible incidents in the world, like World War II and the Holocaust and genocide, I feel like we do need to remember and learn from history because it is true that history repeats itself if we don't learn from it however I do find it odd uh, that so many people would buy 
a painting of crying children to remember a world war. I guess there were a lot of orphans after the war, which I never feel like I've never heard before. Uh, you don't think about that. I mean, you. I guess you don't think about that. I'm sure it's true. It has to be true. But We'll, we'll post um, a picture of the painting. He kind of reminds me of a Precious Moments in a way because it's like a okay. little boy with like big sad eyes. Okay. Um, so the curse surrounding this painting came to light in 1985. Pretty great year, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> the best. The best year. Yes. The curse came to light when The Sun, which is a British tabloid, wrote a story about a couple whose house burnt down. The home was destroyed except for one thing, the crying boy print. <gasps> and the couple's brother, who was a firefighter out of Essex, claimed that he had been to multiple fires where the houses had been destroyed in the fire, everything gone except for the crying boy prints. Soon, word spread about the curse of the crying boy paintings. Readers wrote in telling their claims of fires destroying their homes, but never the crying boy painting. Stories were told of family members dying after purchasing the paintings, a restaurant burned to the ground after hanging the print on their wall. One woman said that she, her sister, and her friend all had house fires after they purchased the print. People began to uh, a spiral a bit. Yeah. In case you couldn't tell. I'm just, I just still can't get over the fact, like, the last thing I want to be looking at while I'm eating at a restaurant is a painting of a boy crying. A crying child. A crying orphan. I was actually going to hang crying children up around my entire bedroom. Is that I've weird? <laughs> lost my appetite. I was going to put a picture of a crying child in every room of my house, just so you never had a moment of just, like, you know, happiness or joy when you were here. Uh, do you remember, it's like great dinner. Hey, uh, see that painting? Do you remember the time a dangerous fascist and dictator, uh, uh, head of the Aryan nation tried to murder the entire world? Wasn't that crazy? <laughs> like every time you're eating, you're just <laughs> staring directly into the eyes of a child who's crying. Nazis, am I right? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry. I digress. So... As I said, people began to kind of freak out. Mm -hmm. As the stories came in, more stories, you know, kept going and going. As all of these claims began to circulate, firefighters spoke out, saying that in all of the fires associated with the crying boy prints, there were obvious sources that were not supernatural, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, a firefighter did also admit that he had seen crying boy prints at over 50 fires since the 70s. Oh, but I mean, that could just be a numbers game. I mean, it could. If it was super popular, everybody forgot to clean out their lint mm -hmm. and everybody had a crying boy. Like the statistic, statistically, he's going to see a lot of crying boy paintings. Yes. With all the hysteria surrounding the curse of the painting, the son offered to destroy the prints to anyone who wanted to send theirs in. <laughs> and... On Halloween of that year, they burned over 2,500 <gasps> crying boy paintings in a mass bonfire. Oh, my goodness. It took a little effort to get them to burn, but they finally did. it really? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. A British writer and comedian did a piece on BBC Radio 4 where he examined the painting and the claims it would not burn. He found that the prints were coated in a flame retardant uh, coating. Also, most likely, the string attaching the painting to the wall would burn quickly, causing the painting to fall face down. Mm. Furthermore, the fire service um, has since noted that the painting was mounted on high-density hardboard, which Mm -hmm. I guess is hard to ignite. Okay. So basically, a fire would start in a house. The flimsy string holding the painting to the wall would, you know, burn and break. The painting would fall face down. And with a combination of the hardboard that the print was mounted on with the um, fire retardant varnish... Mm-hmm. would protect the crying boy paintings while the rest of the house was destroyed. Pretty crazy. I mean... Maybe everything should be made in the same way that these crying boy paintings <laughs> I, were mass-produced. I, I kind of now want a crying boy outfit coming into fire season here in California. Can't hurt. So the curse was seemingly debunked. Mm-hmm. However, the legend still grew even if the hysteria surrounding the painting did not. According to uh, Medium.com, one story claims, and this is a quote from Medium, one story claims that that the boy in the painting was an orphan living in Madrid. Despite a priest's warning that the fires broke out wherever the boy went, the artist decided to adopt the child. Sometime later, the artist's studio burned down. The little boy ran away. Never to be seen again. <gasps> so what I really enjoyed about this story is how things like this can become their own urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on numerous cursed objects lists. It's on YouTube. I actually heard about it on the Cryptid Factor podcast, a podcast that I love and mm-hmm. always puts me in a good mood. And everyone kind of adds a bit of their own story and, you know, it kind of builds upon this urban legend, which I just love. And now the Crying Boy painting even has a fan club. So uh, there's a historian named Emma Ruiz who is interested in urban legends and things like that. And she mm-hmm. launched the Crying Boy fan club. She seems pretty rad. Uh, and as the fa- as the fan club states, many of the club members do not actually believe in the painting's curse and espouse logical explanations to the fire accidents where the paintings remained unscathed. Nonetheless, all of us are very much interested in keeping this enduring modern legend alive, which I just think that's really fun. I do think that's fun and cool. So it was debunked, but... Like the, but I mean, just because something will burn because of that doesn't mean the crying boy isn't coming out of the painting at night, mm-hmm. <laughs> tipping over your candle, <laughs> climbing back into the painting, and being like, "Fuck you! This is what you get for eating spaghetti in front of me while I sit here crying." I mean, yeah, okay. Would I get a crying boy painting? Do do I want to join the fan club? No. I would join the fan club, but I don't want a crying boy painting. You don't have to have the painting to join the fan club. Oh, I, I, I just assumed. No, I think you just have to enjoy the urban legend and the story surrounding it. I don't think that she's just tempting everyone to have a house fire. 
<laughs> Join at your own risk. <laughs> I love that urban legend, and I cannot wait for the day that I can tell that urban legend to my children around a campfire. Hers might be real. Just because something has flame has flame retardant varnish on it doesn't mean it's not also cursed. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it is like really, it was really painted in honor of like the worst act in human history. So I just feel like it does have. It houses bad energy. Totally. Totally. And then you add, like you said, fuel to that fire. You hear one story and then you hear another one and then people start like just literally, pardon the pun, add fuel to these house fires. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, it could be like it is an urban legend that maybe turned itself into a tulpa, <gasps> crying boy tulpa, <laughs> arsonist, crying boy tulpa. Scary. I know it is scary. Oh, oh, hey, remind me at the end. I learned a new fact today, and I'd like to share it with you and anybody listening. I thought it was terrifying, but also kind of cool, but mostly terrifying. So remind me at the end. Okay. All right. Are you ready for my cursed object? Yes. I don't think you're ready, ready for this jelly. What is that song? <laughs> Do we have the rights to sing that? Probably not. Uh, I, don't I think s- you're ready for this. Wait, jelly? Does she say jelly? I think she says jelly. <laughs> I'd say jelly. Bootylicious? Yeah, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. <laughs> uh, we'll look that up at the end, too. I don't want, you know, members of the Beyonce fan club fucking writing in. Saying that we're ruining the lyrics to the song and to please not read their pissed off letter on the podcast. You know what I mean? I don't want yeah. that to happen. <laughs> well, it's our podcast and we can read whatever we want. So so remember that next time yeah. anybody writes us a letter. <laughs> Especially when trying to gaslight us. In case, in case you can't tell, we've been getting some letters lately. It's been interesting. It's been fun. It's been great. And definitely interesting. All right. So my curse object, my source for this episode is a book that I got. And it's titled Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items, written by J.W. Otcher. Now, in my personal opinion, one of the scarier categories of cursed objects are things that are found in attics, which end up in thrift shops, yard sales, swap mm-hmm. meats. And I spelled that swap meats like trading meat. <laughs> just Would you like to where... trade this ham for that? <laughs> the place prime where rib? you bring your meat for bartership. You know what? That's the kind of swap meet I actually want to go to. Honestly, not a bad idea. Not my worst idea I've ever had. Just trading meats. <laughs> yes. That's the post-apocalyptic future that I'm here for. Yes. Uh, so these these cursed objects could be left behind after a move, passed down through generations, or gifted secondhand. It, it's just the idea that you could inadvertently buy a cursed item at a random goodwill freaks me the fuck out dude i have this theory that the skeleton key that i have from the haunted house i grew up in as a kid actually Mm -hmm. like has is that it could be and it's just hanging up in my kitchen on a random (laughs) nail that was there on the wall when we moved in and i just have thought so many times what if this is like destroying my life and it's a little thing and i just don't realize that's what it is 
<laughs> okay, I know Skeleton Key is named for like specific reason, like it fits every door, but it is a pretty macabre name. Like there could it could have been Universal Key, could have been Every Door Key, it could have been. Why anything. is it called a Skeleton Key? Were they originally made out of human finger bones? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's called a skeleton key because it fits every door in the house. It's like the skeleton key, right? I or I, is it? I guess, but that's like saying that, like, because all skeletons look the same. Is that the link? I because it's the original, like the skeleton, like it's the, the bones of the house. I I get what you're saying. Okay, just... we're gonna have to Google so many things at the end of this episode. Okay. <laughs> No, I, 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 you're probably right. It's just a weird, it's just a weird, yeah. See, that my brain just comes up with stuff and then it convinces I believe you. That I think right. that's what it is. It's not because it was made out of human finger bones. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm not right. I mean, stranger things have happened, obviously. Um, all right, so this tale of Cursed Object is, it starts with a handsome immigrant who came to Hollywood uh, only to die under mysterious circumstances after he purchased a tiger's eye stone ring in San Francisco. And I'm talking about Rudolfo Alfonso Raffaello Pierre Philibert Guelmi di Valentina di Antuaguala. Fans called him Rudolph Valentino. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would. <laughs> I would shorten it. <laughs> That's a name for sure. Uh, Rudolfo, excuse me, I just morphed both of his names into one. It's Rudolph Valentino, not Rudolfo. I, let's just call him Rudolfo. Let's call him Rudy. Rudy was born in Italy in 1895, and he migrated to the USA when he was 18 in search of work, making his way to California he landed in Hollywood and quickly climbed the ranks of roaring 20s Hollywood he was nicknamed as the Latin lover which he wasn't Latin at all but that's the 20s for you <laughs> uh, but he had a huge like also huge fan base <laughs> he had a huge fan base not long before his death Rudolph Valentino was shopping in San Francisco when he came across a gold ring with a single large brown cat's eye stone. Despite the salesman's protest, Rudolph bought the ring. Shortly after, in 1926, while in Manhattan for a movie premiere, Rudolph was struck with severe stomach pains. He was taken to the hospital where doctors found that he had had multiple bleeding ulcers they performed emergency surgery, and the surgery went well, but it wasn't the ulcers that ultimately did him in. Complications from the surgery caused him to slip into a coma, and he eventually died in Manhattan two weeks later. Poor Rudy. I know. According to the story, he was wearing the ring at the time the stomach pains began. And it was said he was so loved, hundreds of mourning fans filled the streets of Manhattan in front of the hospital. And, as the story goes, some even unalived themselves at the thought of a world without Rudolph Valentino. After his death, 
he willed the ring to his lover, Polish actress Pola Negri. She was so devastated by his death that she fainted in the middle of his funeral atop his coffin. But not long after she began to wear his ring, she came down with a severe, mysterious illness. But after she passed along the ring to a friend, she recovered. So that friend was Russ Columbo, a handsome singer, ironically known as the Valentino of radio. So I'm assuming maybe that's why she gave him the ring, because he was kind of reminded her of Valentino, Rudolph Valentino. Russ Columbo is my new favorite name ever, and that's what I'm going by instead of Steve. I am telling you, the names in this story are fantastic. They are, I mean, Russ Columbo is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, are come on. Rudolph Valentino and all of his 17 other names. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then Russ Colombo. Fantastic. <clears throat> okay, so handsome Russ Colombo was killed in a freak shooting accident after he started wearing the ring. His friend, Lansing Brown, was playing with a firearm when it went off and shot Russ in the face, killing him instantly. Weird. He was playing with a gun and it wasn't a safe thing to do. That is (laughs) shocking. He apparently had the gun and a match in his hand. I don't know what was going on. Sounds dangerous. The situation. Grenade in his pocket. (laughs) He also had poison in a pitcher on the table. I mean, I don't know what was going on. He was balancing a dagger on top of his head. (laughs) And he was also eating glass. Yeah. Okay. So... God. The they he went to trial and he it was he was found not guilty by uh, because it was an accident. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So the ring then ended up on the hand of one of Russ Colombo's friends, and his name was Joe Casino. Okay, Russ Colombo and Joe Casino at your fucking service. <laughs> I'm telling you, and Joe started wearing the ring. But then he was struck by a truck and killed while driving. So Joe Casino's brother inherited the ring, but he was okay because he didn't wear the ring. He just kept it in his home. He had it in his home until one night, a burglar by the name of James (laughs) Willis tried to steal the ring and he set off an alarm The police came, and before he could escape, he was shot on the spot by police with the ring in his pocket. Oh, my God. That's why you got to know who you're robbing. What if they're cursed? The robber has the cursed ring in one hand, crying boy painting under his arm. Yes. He just bursts into flames, gets shot. Out in a blaze of glory. I'm on fuego with the puns. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, like... Theft isn't really that glorious. I didn't mean that. That was a joke. No. And even though, you know, robbery is bad, it's still crazy that he died stealing a ring. Seriously. Okay. So then the ring, somehow the ring I got back to like, I don't know if it went back to Rudolph Valentino's estate or it went to like Hollywood, like a Hollywood costume vault or something. But... 
the ring next the ring was loaned to a young actor by the name of Jack Dunn who was set to play Rudolph Valentino in a bio picture of his life. Jack Dunn developed a rare blood disease while wearing the ring and died even before filming started. Jesus. Yeah. Every time somebody new gets the ring, are they like, oh, what happened to the last guy? Why do I, (laughs) how'd I end up with this ring? I don't think anybody asked questions, obviously, but, and I don't, maybe they just didn't, maybe it took, so at this point, it's five victims of this cursed ring. So maybe they just didn't connect the dots to the ring. I'm not sure. Well, it's the 20s. It's not like they had huge social media circles. It was just like they had 10 people that they knew. Right. So the skeptics out there might be saying like, I mean, does this ring even exist? How do we know this ring even exists? And this is not just another urban legend. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I, not me, I feel like the author of this book provided pretty good proof. In one of the last movies that Rudolph Valentino did, a.k.a. Rudy, Mm -hmm. he could be seen on film wearing a pinky ring on his left hand that had a big brown or honey-colored stone, like a light brown stone, looked like a tiger's eye. Uh, the name of that movie is The Young Ra or Raha. Mm-hmm. And then another one is uh, Pola Negri commissioned a painting done of Rudolph after his death and in the dim oil painting it's like pretty dark colors it's like uh rudy fading into like a navy background it's pretty dark and dim Mm -hmm. but it's almost as if a spotlight was put on a large ring on his left hand with a brown stone so like the only light spot in this painting is kind of spotlighted right on this ring Ooh, that's a little uh dorian gray Oh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking Dorian Gray, but then I was like, I don't, is it Dorian Gray? Yeah. Um, okay, but maybe the, the most concrete evidence that they had that the ring has ever existed was in the estate when Rudolph or Rudy passed. He, they listed out all of the, his possessions in his estate. And on page 81... Amongst other stoneware and jewelry, it says, honey, cat's eye ring. So it 100% existed. I don't yes. know why somebody would just make up a ring anyways. I guess, I mean, in the 20s, you had fucking bathtub gin to drink and flappers <laughs> to fuck. Why would you make up a story about a ring? Right? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, no one knows where the ring is today. Some people believe it's Oh my it's God, in... we should look for it. I know. Sir. Okay. So some people believe it's like in a Hollywood costume vault, like just in, you know, old Hollywood storage on a lot somewhere, studio lot somewhere, just waiting to be found. Some people believe that is in a safe deposit box in a bank not far from where Rudy's buried. And if it's in this specific safe deposit box, it's box, it survived fires, theft and other crazy things that have happened at the bank. Or some people believe that it was actually stolen after Jack Dunn and it's just traveling around the world from finger to finger. 
but nobody really knows where this ring is or where it went or who has it. I like to think that the ring is just waiting for its next victim somewhere in a <laughs> thrift shop. And I feel like it, it's like, it looks dingy. And then when the right person comes that it wants to curse, the ring like glows, shines, it, shines, shines itself up. Yeah. That's the Goosebumps story that I'm writing this ring into right now. <laughs> Starring a very young uh latin oh, lover latin lo- no i was gonna say like what what's the guy's name who's really famous now ryan gosling he was in a goosebumps as a child it was a good one he was yeah but this one should be like goosebumps for adults that's stephen king oh yeah okay <laughs> my bad <laughs> um okay so that's cursed objects i actually Love this episode. This was so fun to research. I that book that I used for my source, Cursed Objects, um, Strange Stories of World's Infamous Objects mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. the title is. It's a really good, fun, short, fantastic little book. And um, it's pretty cool. So I recommend I just got it on Kindle. Um uh, thank you for reminding me. I forgot to say my sources. My sources are just um, a Medium article and the Crying Boy fan club, which you should look up. It's pretty cool. And um, Wikipedia. So just a couple of little sources, and we'll add them to our uh, episode description. Okay, what did you have to share with me at the end of this episode? Okay. So theoretically, mm-hmm. if all the spiders in the world oh, banded no. together they could devour every human on earth in a year okay why the fuck would you <laughs> tell me this i thought it was going to be something about cursed objects no. i didn't come here to fuck spiders cassie <laughs> i just uh learned that fact today and I found it terrifying and I felt a, I had a compulsion to share it with you. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. <laughs> and I am now Googling, you're not ready, ready for this jelly. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I guess that uh, wraps up our Cursed Objects episode. Do you think your ring was cursed? is cursed yeah i think it's possible i think it's possible i mean it i mean it was the 20s so i feel like people were like living their best lives and dying often yes so it could just be it could they could just be victims of the roaring 20s and hollywood is you know, has like a really dark underbelly. So it could just have been like Hollywood in the 20s. Yeah. Hol- listen to our Holly Weird series if you want to hear about all the ways that Hollywood has gone horribly Ser- wrong. Seriously. I think it, I do. I like to think that that ring is cursed and I'm going to go look for it. BRB. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't think you're ready for this jelly is the lyric. We could have looked up skeleton keys, but we're just going to leave that cliffhanger. No, I'm I'm looking up Skeleton Key, why it's named that way. Invented by Timothy Skeleton. (laughs) What if it is the person who invented their last name, which is Skeleton? It's Jack Skellington. Duh. Oh, 
Okay, so so it says the term skeleton key, and this is from andersonlock.com, and it says the term skeleton key derives from the fact that the key has been reduced to its essential parts. Oh, that's why the skeleton keys are just very simple shapes as opposed to regular keys that have all the intricate little carvings. Yes. Um, huh. Okay, so... Yeah, I guess it's just essential parts. So I just, and it does look like a skeleton, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't mean that it unlocks every door in the house. <laughs> but they do. I think, do just they? On, I think just on old locks. Maybe just old locks are all the same and there's just one key for every lock. <laughs> this Like you could just use any key? Yeah. One of my dad's girlfriends had a card that you could start with any key oh my goodness oh my goodness I wish I had I wish I had that card because I will tell you what that happened is to so me bad no yes no I will tell you what happened to me it's the most wild thing I was at the grocery store and I came out and I was loading my groceries in the back of my car and I had my backup and I put my key on the bumper mm -hmm. and I forgot it was there and I put my daughter in the car and then I went back to shut my back hatch or whatever it's called mm -hmm. and the key was stuck in like the where the hatch mm -hmm. closes and it bent oh shit and I couldn't get it in my ignition and I was trapped I was stuck at the grocery store I think goodness I my father-in-law was available and he brought me my spare key but so that at that time I, I could have just asked the guy parked next to me hey can I Borrow, borrow your key. You got a car skeleton Any key. key hanging out? <laughs> Any key will do. Your mail key. I'll bring it back to you. Give me your address. The key to your fucking heart, dude. <laughs> oh, give me the key to success, man. I need to start my car and drive off into the sunset. The key to your chastity belt will do in a pinch. <laughs> so... All the questions have been answered, yes, and we've learned some terrifying facts about curses and spiders. Mm -hmm. So just think about that. Next time you're like, mm, I'm not going to kill a spider, it's nature. If they banded together, they could eat your entire family within a matter of days. Well, I hope you're listening to this before bed. Sweet dreams, everybody. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a one and done episode. And don't forget to love yourself. Lock your doors because of the fucking spiders. <laughs> and light some sage, maybe some some raid. I don't know. That's probably not good for you. Just light some sage. That's bad. That's the Unless best thing to do. Unless you have a haunted painting in your house that will <laughs> make your house catch on fire. Then don't light anything. <laughs> Just think good thoughts and positive thoughts and good vibes. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.